welcome to Wayward Witch, a pagan podcast. My name is Miranda, and I'll be guiding you along this journey to explore non-denominational witchcraft for the modern practitioner every Tuesday. You can find us on an array of streaming services, which can be found by simply following the links on Twitter at WayWitchCast, or on Facebook and Instagram at WayWitchPodcast. Feel free to reach out for questions, concerns, or even just a chit-chat, as I do love to hear from all of you. Let's walk this path together. Today we'll be learning about the tarot. I want to go ahead and debunk a few things before we get started. Firstly, we need to stop telling budding witches that they aren't allowed to purchase their first deck and it requires that it gets gifted to them. Whoever purchases their deck has no influence over the effectiveness of the readings or perception of the reader. I don't really know where that superstition comes from, but it's false. So stop doing that and stop believing that. Another thing to consider is somewhat of a surprising bit of information I've noticed when beginning, and that's the fact that you never need the little booklet to help you read. You don't have to read the cards according to someone else's interpretation of the deck. That's the major thing we're going to talk about today. However, if working that way suits your needs, we'll also be discussing a method for that as well. I want to say that for personal preference, I started reading tarot with the Rider White deck, which is the traditional deck that we've all seen when looking to tarot. However, you can use whatever deck you prefer or have on hand. Generally, before using your cards, you should cleanse them. This can be done through energy transfer by meditating and focusing on cleansing energy going from you into your cards. Or you can smudge them using whatever method you prefer. Although, I prefer using cedar since it's available to me locally and doesn't contribute to the threatening resources of white sage. You can also moon cleanse them by spreading them out under mood light, salting them, you get the idea. If you're unsure of how to cleanse your cards, I'll be offering links and resources on social media later on to help you find a way that would best assist you according to your own personal practice, because spouting off links within this episode is just a whole lot of no. Tarot is comprised of both the major arcana, or named cards, and the minor arcana, or the suited cards. The major arcana consists of 22 named cards, such as Death and Justice, while the minor arcana cards consist of the remaining 56 in the, in the four suits, which are the cups, wands, swords, and pinnacles. These names often change depending on the deck, with wands sometimes being referred to as batons, clubs, or staves, and pinnacles referred to as coins, discs, or rings. I tend to look at the major arcana as my wake-up call cards that really drive an idea home and shove an issue in my face to either fix or revel in the joy of it. It should be noted that the death card very rarely means actual death, but more so a major change in your life. It marks the end of a cycle so that there can be room for rebirth and growth. You should be more afraid of the tower. No one likes the tower. Go ahead. Give it a look. I'll wait. Terrible, isn't it? Moving forward. A really good learning method I've found when, lear- when wanting to learn tarot by the book is to draw a card each day for the personal reading and really focus on it. What do you see? What are the colors, the imagery, the energy of the card? Decipher what you think it may be and write it down in a circle in a journal or your grimoire. At the end of the day, reference the booklet or online sources to see what the provided translation is, and compare the two. 
How close were you? How far off were you? Which translation pertained to your day more? Compare and contrast the differences and how they may pertain to you until you start to become better acquainted with the cards. And seeing as there's only 78 cards, this practice should only take you two and a half months if you stay consistent, which is a really good habit to get into anyway, as consistency in witchcraft yields absolutely amazing results. While I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that we should be learning from the pamphlet that comes with each tarot deck, especially since many of us work with spirits and intuition to decipher the cards, I tend to preach this method pretty often, since it's a pretty good launching point for whenever you're getting started. But say that you have a strong sense of intuition and ability to divine. For those that do, I would suggest sitting down with the cards and truly studying the imagery used in the artwork. Look at the expression of the characters in the card. Are they happy, sad, or is their face turned away? Are they, look, are they holding something, gathering items, or pondering under a tree? What conditions are they living in? And look deeper into the other imagery as well. What animals are present, if there are any? What about possible carvings and thrones, swords, and buildings? If there's vegetation in the picture, is it plentiful, being harvested, or showing signs of drought? Really pay attention to the cards. Some are very straightforward, like the Three of Swords and Strength, while others may be elusive and difficult to figure out. There's no rush in learning the tarot, and some never really do get the pull towards the cards, and that's okay. There are so many other means of divination that you can use that may be a better fit. Another important thing is gaining an understanding of some of the words you might not be familiar with regarding the cards. That's not to say that I would imply that anyone listening may be uneducated or stupid, but some of the names of the Major Arcana in particular do tend to throw people for a loop. Let's go over the two main ones for a moment. Take, for instance, the Hierophant. The dictionary defines it as a person, especially a priest in ancient Greece, who interprets sacred mysteries or esoteric principles. We can view this card as if it were the male counterpart of the High Priestess, offering masculine energy and all that it may encompass, such as force and physical power. Then we have temperance, which means moderation or voluntary self-restraint. It is typically described in terms of what an individual voluntarily refrains from doing. Drawing this card could signify that the person you're reading for is holding back, whether for better or for worse. Typically, the better or worse clause is signified by the associative cards drawn within the spread. Speaking of spreads, I'm sure many of you have come across a vast array of different card spreads to be used whenever you read the tarot. I would say if you're just starting out, use a standard three card spread that signifies the past, present, and future. If you need clarification, just keep drawing. I think the forces that guide me have gotten pretty used to my laziness and chaotic way whenever it comes to my method, because I prefer the three-card spread with cards piling up all around each, each card that I need clarification on. It works for me. Maybe it'll work for you. The most common tarot spread, however, is called the Celtic Cross, which is a ten-card spread that delves into the details of the person being read. And for you, dear listener... I'll explain that spread so that maybe you can follow along. After all, some of us are audio listeners, yeah? The first card you'll draw describes where you are now. That card will be placed down to mark the center of the cross. 
This card is meant to reflect your current emotional, physical, and or spiritual space in the universe and sets the tone for the rest of the spread. The second card represents potential, cha potential or challenges. This card will lay on top of your first card horizontally. This card has been described as a bridge or a block or a tool that can help either help you achieve what you wish or something that will stand in the way of your goal. Whatever it may be, that choice is yours. The third card, which, like every card from here on out, is placed vertically directly underneath the first two, represents where you should be directing your focus. This card will tell you what you need to work on in order to bring whatever hopes you had when consulting the cards come to fruition. The fourth card will be placed in the left of the center cards, will be placed to the left of the center cards, and represents your past and how it affects your current situation and path. While we should never dwell on our past, we should most definitely stay thankful for the good that built our solid foundation, or stay on the journey of healing from the past if it had offered you more strife than happiness. At the end of the day, we can't change it, but we can accept our pasts, be thankful, and move forward. The fifth card is placed at the top of the center cards and represents your unique strength that will assist you in the journey shown in the reading. Uncovering and embracing your strength will help you on your way. The sixth card is placed at the right of the center cards and represents the very near future. If card number 10 is the destination, the sixth card is a mile marker along the way. If you don't like the outcome of this card, you can change your direction and avoid it. If you do like the outcome, charge forward. Now you can see that the cross is complete, but we still have more cards to draw. From here, we move to the right of the cross and lay the cards 7 through 10 from the bottom up in a vertical line. 7 represents the suggested approach. This details the strategy you need in order to reach the intended goal. The eighth card shows what you need to know, and I call this the I feel attacked card. Tarot is kind of infamous for telling you truths that you may not want to hear, and the eighth card will definitely do that. Don't shy away from the truth, though. Embrace it and make changes if you deem it necessary. The ninth card shows your hopes and fears and how they may help or hinder you. If it's a block, push through it. If it's to help you, go with the flow and let it carry you to your destiny. The tenth and final card is the potential outcome. An important thing to note here is that the potential that it's the potential outcome. Every single minute decision you make impacts your life. Pulling the tenth card is not sealing your fate. Instead, it's either showing you something that you can you can work toward or something you can work to avoid. Proceed as needed. It's important to remember that any form of divination isn't to tell your definite future. You could sneeze differently at some point in the day and your entire path could change. Oftentimes, I remind those that I read for that having someone divine for you is like asking someone to hold a flashlight while you travel down a series of paths. While we may only see one way on one path or the other, that doesn't mean that the remaining paths have suddenly disappeared. Your outcome is just one possibility out of many, and changing any act as displayed by the cards could drastically change the outcome. I find that the most beautiful thing about destiny, none of us are bound and set into one predetermined outcome without our say in it. So if you're worried about the results of your reading, change things. Break away from routine. 
heal from your past traumas. If you do like the results, then keep up the good work and stay vigilant in, in achieving your goals. on Instagram a few weeks back that I've been considering adding a segment to Wayward Witch that covers different deities across the pantheons, and a few of you have contacted me to tell me that you'd really like that. So, without further ado, I bring you the Mythology Minute. Today we'll be discussing what seems to be the most commonly worshipped goddess in the circles that I run around in, the great-grandma of Grecian witchcraft herself, the mama of the crossroads, Hecate. She is the moon goddess of hidden, hidden wisdom, change, and darkness. She is also the queen of witches. But Hecate is not the evil hag that popular legend suggests. In fact, she seems to have started out as Hecate, the Egyptian goddess of childbirth. Her considerable power over nature ensured her continued popularity, but she's never fitted in with the crowd. Any crowd. She's very much her own goddess. Her role and attributes are hard to sum up in a few words. She is goddess of crossroads and thus can point you in the right direction if you don't know which way to turn. She also offers advice if you're stuck at a symbolic crossroads of your journey through life, which is certainly better value than most other navigational aids. She has the power of change, whether for good or evil, and is the one invoked when spells are cast. A good lunar calendar is essential as the power she gives is related to the phases of the moon. If nothing else, at least you'll be able to see what you're doing. Hecate is often seen with three heads, a dog, a horse, a lion, or a snake in that case. These symbolize the attributes of Selene, Artemis, and Persephone, but not necessarily in that order, as Hecate is something of a three-in-one goddess in the attribute department. Over the centuries, her esoteric nature has led to a lot of misunderstandings and bad press. The modern conception of a, wicked of a wicked cackling witch with broomsticks and warts is more or less the result of early Christian anti-Hecate propaganda. After all, any decent witch could cure warts in a jiffy. She's also sought out for her assistance in hexes for left-handed leaning witches, as she seems to be one of the few in the Greek pantheon that encourages such things. So if you follow the Greek way and need a hand in the dark stuff, she's your go-to gal. A little bit of trivia here. Hecate is known by the Romans as trivia. Yes, the pun was intentional. Regarding offerings to Hecate, she seems to really enjoy cakes of all sorts. Dried fruits, garlic, leeks, and onions. Sweet drinks for libations are also greatly appreciated by her, especially if they're alcoholic. She's also one of the few deities I've come across that not only accepts unwanted leftover food, prefers it, so she's a no-stress foodie. In terms of inedible things, she likes keys, stones associated with cleansing or warding off negativity like obsidian and quartz, bones, seashells, and tag locks, which are, item, which are items personal to an individual used in spell work, like hair clippings and such. Devotional acts would be volunteering with the elderly or abused, and sacrifices of all kinds especially if it's giving up a bad habit to become a better person altogether. If nothing else, go for a devotional walk. 
really be present in the moment and converse with her. She's pretty laid back as far as crones go, and all around approachable. For further inf information on Hecate, I'll be posting a little infographic on Instagram about her so, you, so that you can dig deeper into her, should you so choose. Hopefully you found some helpful information here today. While I could go on for hours about how to read the tarot according to your own abilities, I want to be sure to give everyone listening the space and information needed to explore on their own and really get to make their craft personal and genuine. After all, what may work for me may not work for you. But any method provided may pique your interest enough to make you dig deeper in research and in self to find a way that fits you like a glove. As usual, if you have questions, concerns, or emotional outbursts, feel free to get a hold of me. I also want to thank you for being patient with me with the late upload today due to the migraine issues that have been happening. In all honesty, I'm going through withdrawals from caffeine, and it's absolutely terrible. Uh, say a prayer. Thoughts and prayers. It's horrible. Um, but as always, witchlings, be kind, be brave, be unstoppable. I'll see you next time.